0: Welcome back to The Heather McCoy Show. This is the part three and last part of my interviews from the NAM conference that happened in late January of this year. And uh, included in this batch of interviews is Michelle Moog, who is the daughter of Robert Moog of Moog Keyboard fame. And so without further ado, part three of my series of interviews from NAM. So one of the uh, booths is actually a pretty big one. It's a scene live band, and it can be found at uh, S a-e-n-g.com and um, I'm with Chris Yoon, who is a representative of the company, Uh, so it's a really cool step that your company's made from Rock Band and Beatles Rock Band and Guitar Hero to actually learning how to play a real instrument. It's something I've been waiting for a very long time for.
1: Uh, It looks like Rock Band 3 or Guitar Hero, but it's not a game technically. It's a real instrument play system. We would like to have all the people in the world enjoy the music instrument. Although whoever uh, can play a music instrument or not, our live band sang will help you grow your play skill and you will enjoy and you will be a real rock star uh, just like a couple hours practice. That's the purpose of our system.
0: Even if somebody's as uncoordinated as somebody like me is trying to do
1: it, Yes, yes, everyone can do that. Because we provide one synchronized music, a combination of drums and guitar and keyboard, and everyone can have individual monitor, and we provide very easy visual, visual note dropping down. When you see the notes coming in, you just follow the notes, and you will make a whole song and whole session, band session, yes.
0: The interface is a lot like, Rock band or one of the video games. Um, th- but the boxes that you sell, they're individual units. And so, um, can you put the unit on any type of drum, or do you have to get the drums through you guys as well?
1: Uh, theologically, can, but actually, it has to be coordinated with our own system. Okay. If, you want, if you, any users want to change the hardware, they have to do some business deal based on the MOQ. That it's a total different story, uh, but technically can yes yes.
0: How many songs are in the inventory to learn?
1: Uh, with regard to the intellectual property point of view, we don't have any commercial uh, songs right now. But in Korea, in our base, we have thousands of songs already programmed. Yes. Uh, one thing I additionally, additionally would like to mention that we are not a game. Yeah. The Big difference between existing games is game users should follow their tones and notes and they cannot make any additional sound. But ours is real musical instrument, so you can make any additional ad sound or free, free notes and tones.
0: Yeah, I think what you're talking about was encapsulated by that South Park episode where people were playing their Guitar Hero guitars and it was just clicking. Where you're actually learning how to play guitar, keyboard, and um, drums.
1: Right. Existing games. Uh, the another side of effect was, when they complete the whole games, they tend to get bored. Yeah. But real instrument play, they never get. You never get bored.
0: Because there's always room for improvement.
1: Yes. Yes. You are right.
0: right. So um, yeah, seeing live band. i A. I'm sorry. S A E N live band. Uh, how would you get in contact with you guys if you want more information
1: yes uh the sang means s-s-a-e-n-g we basically from the word of our mother tongue that the sang uh sang means live thing and in here we would like to be called as a thing sang song and people sang with our sang yeah that's the purpose of our emblem yes
0: uh, thank you for joining us. Um, have you had a good NAM show? Have you looked around at the other exhibitors? Yes,
1: uh, this is our first time being in the NAM show, especially in the U.S. market. We are looking for a reliable partner who can bring our system into the U.S. Uh, based on the exclusive sales partnership. Then I, we have been meeting a lot of good distributors and dealers so far. Then I have met some other musical instrument vendors for the future version of hardware. Then we, I'm having fun, yes, yes. And company makes a lot of good, fruitful reserves, and hopefully we will make some business case in the future, yeah.
0: I enjoyed your product thoroughly, and I'm sure it's gonna have much success. Thank you for being interviewed.
1: Thank you, thank you very much, okay.
0: We're in the very loud drum section of the show. Uh, I'm with D- Daniel, who does, is with a company that uh, called Clamp-It. And so what is exactly Clamp-It?
2: The Clamp-It is a, is a special device it's a piece of drum hardware that connects to your drum seat and holds a off-the-shelf microphone boom stand for singing drummers. It's also can be used as the quick rack, which basically clamps to two, sim- two of your existing cymbal stands and you can have a rack system very, very quickly, very uh, a- affordably as well.
0: So, for you people listening at home, how does the clamp that attach to the uh, stool for the drummer to uh, actually be able to sing into a mic without having like one of those weird type of um...
2: like a big bass, uh, yeah, like those big tripod what they use for uh, you know movies, uh, like uh, you know whatever those big tripod boom stands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no. This this actually connects connects to your existing seats it's a bar that's uh, approximately 24 inches long hexagon in design and there's two clamps that slide onto the hexagon bar One of the clamps fits it, it connects to your to your drum stools post and the other side connects to the bottom of a, of a boom stand which your own weight holds the uh, microphone stand in place where you could swivel it out of your way when you're not singing and swivel it back when you're singing without the micro, without the whole boom stand tipping over plus the, 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 the best place for a drummer to have a, a microphone stand is over your head that way when you're playing drums you don't bump into the stand while you're playing drums because it's coming from behind you that's the optimum place for microphone placement for a drummer.
0: Yeah, and you have a lot of different microphones, boom mics coming into the drum kit already, and so why uh, why have one more where you can tip it over and you know annoy the engineer?
2: Exactly, exactly.
0: So, how long have you been in business with uh, Clampit? Well, the Clampit I uh, I did the
2: NAMM show back in ninety. Uh, I'm sorry, back in ni- uh, two thousand nine, and uh, I recently came up. well, the last two years, I came up with the with the quick rack system. So now I'm here in 2013 to introduce the Clampic quick rack system.
0: Are you at the show to try to get more distrib- distribution or? Um... Yeah, kind
2: of a little of everything. You know, I want to I get some more branding for my products so the industry can see what I'm doing. I, my, my main goal is to eventually have enough products for a complete drum set, cymbal stands, Boom stands, uh, uh, Tom Hardware, and I want it's going to be made out of, of uh, lightweight aluminum. Uh, there's a there's a special uh, coating that I'm going to do to all these products. They'll they'll come in basically chrome, brushed aluminum, clear coat. Uh, you know, uh, basically a satin black or high gloss black. It's very, it's a very durable uh, coating that they that they do to. Um, all aluminum types of products, like faucets and stuff like that, so it's a very it's a very durable surface.
0: Yeah, well, uh, enjoy your, the rest of the NAMM show, and thank you for being on the show. I will, thank you, Heather. So I'm at Farmer Foot Drums, and uh, well, a foot drum, if you're wondering what that would be, uh, it's basically kind of like what you would get your shoes polished on, but it's actually got a full drum set. Uh, I'm with RJ, who's uh, repping for them, Tell us more about the foot drum. Well, the foot drum is uh, an all-in-one drum set that's uh, c-
3: completely portable. Um, it's really built for anyone, uh, uh, mostly for uh, one-man band type people or singer-songwriters that want to have some percussion under their feet. Yeah. Uh, right now I'm playing guitar, obviously, but anyone you know with a bass or a ukulele or a piano could probably play this. Um, basically, there's a... Uh, four foot pedals, uh, well four or five foot pedals and then uh, two heel pedals and with that you can hit a kick drum, snare drum, left and right, hi-hat open and closed, hi-hat stick and then there is uh, two other pedals that you can attach uh, some of our different uh, shakers or jingle sticks or whatever you feel like doing, it's totally customizable.
0: It is really cool. What was the inspiration behind it? Like a Haskell Atkins from the bat, uh, from the old days? Yeah, of course. Haskell Atkins was one of the the big, you know,
3: cool one man band garage type guys. The uh, Peter Farmer, who started this whole company and this created this product, uh, was a musician himself, and um, uh, he started. He wanted to build something for himself uh, back in 06, I think, uh-huh. and so he's. He's very handy with that type of stuff, and he built uh, the first uh, deluxe foot drum, uh, which is essentially this, uh, what you're seeing here. This is, uh, I believe, version, version 2, but uh, uh, it's a little more streamlined, it's a little lighter. Uh, it, uh, everything is very adjustable, the, your tension and how you want it to react to your foot playing and stuff.
0: What's amazing about it is its ultra compact design. It's just a lot of drums within a very small space.
3: Yeah, uh, the, the the bass drum in front will fold underneath the uh, the unit, and then there's a handle that you can carry, and uh, it's very portable. You know, you don't have to tear down anything when you go to gigs and when you leave gigs. There's no tearing down of cymbals or detaching percussion things off of uh, off of different pedals and stuff. It's just. All in,
0: all in one. Uh, how heavy is it?
3: Um, I believe it's uh, it's like 45 pounds.
0: Well, that's not too bad. It's not bad. Well, thank you for your time, RJ. Let's go out with you. You playing some music?
3: Sure, no problem.
0: So, uh, most of the people I've been talking to are vendors selling things and all, uh, you know, the latest products and wares, but we actually have a historical uh, vendor here today. It's the uh, Moog Foundation, and I'm speaking with Michelle, who's actually uh, Bob Moog's daughter.
4: Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah,
0: it, it's a, it was a surprise to see you guys here. You have an original Moog keyboard behind me and the wall of doom behind you. Um, tell me about your father and what his legacy is.
4: Well, um, my father is Robert Moog, or also known as Bob Moog. <clears throat> he invented the synthesizer, the Moog synthesizer in 1964 and is credited with revolutionizing the face of music. Um, <clears throat> he had a 50, excuse me, I'm sorry. No, that's right. He had a 50 lo- year long career um, in the development of synthesis and he passed away in 2005. And throughout his um, 50 year career, you know, unbeknownst to him, he was a very kind of humble genius kind of guy. He just affected and um, influenced and inspired uh, thousands and you know even tens of thousands of people all over the world, both through his instruments and through the music that they created. And so the foundation was was really um, founded to carry on that legacy, so that we can continue to inspire people, especially little kids, um, through his legacy. How
0: did he start, and um, what was all of the things that he accomplished?
4: He got started when he was just a kid. When he was um, a teenager, he started doing small electronic um, hobbyist projects with his dad in their basement. And he um, fell in love with an instrument called the Theremin, which is an early electronic musical instrument that was built in 1919 by a Russian physicist named Leon Theremin. And uh, the really interesting thing about the Theremin is that you play it without touching it to a lay person it looks like a wooden box of one configuration or another that of course has circuitry inside it and it has two antenna one that um, the one to the left sticks out horizontally and the one to the right sticks out vertically the left one is um, uh, your volume and the right one is your pitch but you play it without touching it. It it's all works in um, the proximity of your hand to the antenna and he just really fell in love with that whole design and by the time he was 19 he was proficient enough at building them that he was asked to write an article for radio and television news which was a hobbyist magazine back then and the article was so successful and popular people started asking bob for Parts where they could, he wrote the article on how you can build your own theremin. So people wanted to know where they could get the parts for. There were no parts for theremin's, and he started selling theremin parts. And that eventually evolved into um, building theremin's, and that lasted um, for uh, 10 or 15 years actually, right through his college years, his PhD years. And it was uh, during the time that he was getting his PhD, he was actually at an educators' conference repping his theremins and um, a man came up to him and said you know I have one of your theremins I'm a music professor at Hofstra I use the theremins in my classes but I'm also a experimental jazz musician um, and you know there are all kinds of sounds that I'd like to make and I just I can't make them They're in my head but I can't there's nothing I can find to produce those sounds do you think you can make an instrument that would produce those sounds? that, that man's name was Herb Deutsch and he was you know the inspiration behind the invention of the first prototype Moog modular okay. so that was not that's that was 1964.
0: and then he's just made inventions since then
4: uh bob yes yeah i mean it started off with the modulars and there was a um, almost a 10-year evolutionary path of uh the, the the modulars developing and then in 1971 the um the mini Moog was invented, which is just a much smaller uh, version, much much smaller, I would say, with it with a keyboard on it. And um, then there were you know, there, there's a whole family of, of uh, Moog instruments that evolved after that.
0: So, how did the Moog Foundation start, and what's its mission?
4: Um, the Moog Foundation started essentially because we were, as a family, we were so blown away by the amount of people who. Um, we had a website page set up for Bob and it, we were blown away by the amount of people who left tributes for him and the time that he was ill, which was about two months and, and the day that he passed away as well. Um, <clears throat> you know, it went beyond just, you know, I love Bob or, or we're going to miss him or something like that. It went, it would, the people wrote in again and again and again, how Bob Moog had transformed their life. And so that was our inspiration to start the foundation, and it has just grown since then. Our mission is to ignite creativity at the intersection of music, science, history, and innovation. So it's, just, it's a reflection of Bob's legacy. We do that through two projects. where There's an education initiative called Dr. Bob Sound School, where we teach kids the science of sound through the magic of music. So we use we use the intuitive and engaging interfaces of MOG instruments and acoustic instruments, and we some of our custom materials to engage kids in science. Since that's something that's you know a bit lacking in, within the United States curriculum. Yeah. Um, so, we've just started a pilot program last year doing this in eight classrooms near where we live in Asheville, North Carolina. And it went so well that we've been able to expand into 32 classrooms this year. And it is eventually a program that we'd like to grow nationwide, but it has been very, very well received. And, uh, you know, whenever we are out at some place like NAM, we get. Um, you know, get inquiries from all over the country of people who would like to have it in their schools. So that is that is the goal to have Dr. Bob on school in every school. Um, the other initiative is a historical initiative. We, it's the archive preservation initiative. We are um, preserving, protecting, and exhibiting bob moog's extensive and vast archive he left behind a real variety and huge collection of materials that range from thousands of schematics to hundreds of reel to reel tapes of d- desktop notebooks and project notes to photos and articles um, and breadboard prototypes and instruments and equipment so it's a really it's a big collection and it's gonna take years and years to to preserve it but we are slowly working to that end so those are our two main initiatives and we're hoping you know that in the years to come those two initiatives will combine in our very own museum
0: that would be pretty cool um, is it going through the papers is there anything that can be used today if somebody finished it or?
4: You know, we haven't, we haven't found anything like that yet, although there's still a lot to explore. We really need to digitize all those schematics and then have engineers look at them to tell us. Uh, because I'm not an engineer, I don't know, and the archivist isn't either, but we are working with engineers, you know, to help us interpret everything that's there.
0: Yeah, I heard that you had saved them from sheds and all sorts of hard conditions.
4: Well um, Bob had a workshop that was in the country and he left them there you know thinking I think on his own that he would someday take care of these archives but unfortunately he passed away when he was 71 so he's still fairly young and and was still working full-time so he never had a chance to do that himself and by but the time we got to them they had been in there for five years um, I mean we did get to them just a few months after he passed away but they had been in there for five years, and they were in rough shape because it wasn't climate controlled, and it was out in the country. So, you know, the mice had been in there, and <laughs> a snake or two had been in there. And but we were able to shepherd that all to safety. We 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 reboxed everything, moved it to climate controlled storage, and we are actually now working on moving it all the paper to not just climate controlled storage, but state of the art archival storage.
0: So um, what was his last pro- since he was working until in- he was 71, what was his last project that he was working on?
4: Um, I think the last big project he worked on was The Voyager. And then he um, did do, I think, some very initial sketches of what became The Little Fatty. Cyril Lance, who's the senior engineer at Moog Music, did most of the design on that. But Bob did just the initial conceptual design.
0: What is that?
4: The Little Fatty is um, I think it's a little two oscillator synthesizer that Moog Music has. It's just a smaller compact version. Oh okay. And it's called the Little Fatty because the sound is so fat. <laughs> so
0: that's awesome. Well Michelle thank you for joining us on KECI.
4: Well it's a pleasure. Thank you for stopping by Nam. Yeah.
0: And that wraps up my report from NAM 2013 and uh, if, you know if you notice a trend in all of the interviews Michelle Moog, that last interview I just did, she was the only woman that I interviewed the entire time I was at NAM. And, uh, you know, here's to having more women in the uh, instrument and equipment industry and hopefully more women vendors at NAM. And so stay tuned up next. And uh, Robert Larson will be joining us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. This is the Heather McCoy Show.